Tanya Harry has been fighting for kids since the early 90s, first as a caseworker for CPS, working her way up to administration before finally changing careers to become the executive director for CASA of Deep East Texas. We talk about the role of CASA in the life of a child in the foster care system, the experiences of working as an agent for child protective services, and what people can do to help youth in these extreme circumstances. Tanya's life, like so many of the unordinary people I have met, revolves around service. In her case, service to children and teens and some of the most difficult experiences an adult could imagine. She is truly a remarkable person, and I hope you will come with me to meet Tanya Harry. Okay, I'm here with uh, Tanya Harry. She's the executive director of CASA of Deep East Texas, right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, I just thought she'd be an interesting person to talk to, let her kind of let us all know what the mission of CASA is and stuff, and uh, I'll let her introduce herself from here. Thank you. I'm Tanya Harry. I'm the executive director here at CASA of Deep East Texas. I've been with CASA since 2015. And prior to that, I worked for Child Protective Services. And that's what I started doing pretty much out of college. So it's the late 90s, uh, which kind of indicates my age. And <laughs> I worked as a caseworker for five years, doing child abuse investigations, working with children in foster care and families. And then I became a supervisor for investigations of child abuse and stayed with the agency for 16 years and was a program director for investigations when I left. So very familiar with the northern end of Region 5 here. I, my counties um, reached from Nacogdoches all the way down to Trinity. Okay. So wh- wh- what is uh, CASA? We are court-appointed special advocates. It's a national organization. Uh, We are under uh, Texas CASA here in Nacogdoches. Uh, We have three counties that we serve, Nacogdoches being the largest. We serve Nacogdoches, Shelby County, and St. Augustine counties. And uh, CASA is a guardian ad litem for children when they come into foster care. So if the state determines that a child needs to be removed from their home for safety issues, then they are appointed an attorney ad litem and a guardian ad litem, and a CASA serves as the guardian ad litem. And we represent their best interest in court. Okay. So give give kind of an example, because I kind of know, just from my dad was on a jury for a case like that, uh, but kind of give an example of like how y'all would represent a child in sure. court, like their needs, I guess. Or. Okay. Well, you know, our job is to be a constant for the child because a child that comes into the foster care system, they meet a lot of people. They see a lot of faces. As their case starts, they're working with an investigator. Um, they may change caseworkers and work a family case. Uh, the state does try to keep families together, so they might offer in-home services first before children are removed. But if the situation gets so dire that a child needs to be or a sibling group needs to be taken into protective custody, they are then placed in a foster home. And due to shortages in foster homes, um, most children are not placed in their county of origin. They're placed in another town. So if you have school-age children, they have to change schools, um, make new friends. They just arrived at the home of people that they don't know, and that's where they're going to stay. Lots of questions 
um, not in any control of anything. And they're appointed a CASA, and that CASA stays the same. Um, even if they change caseworkers throughout the case, if they change foster homes and, and they change schools, then their CASA is a person that will not change once they are appointed to the case. And we get to know them. We form relationships with the children. We are involved with their caregivers, with uh, their teachers, if they're school age. Anyone that's providing services to that child or sibling group, we get to know what the child needs. And we make sure that uh, we express that in court and that children's needs are being met while they're in their out-of-home placement. And then we uh, help work on that permanency goal for them because um, all, well, not all, but the majority of cases when a child is taken into temporary custody, the state is hoping to reunite children with their parents. And the parents are given a certain amount of time to work some services and to control the safety issues that were in their home to begin mm-hmm. with that caused the removal. So over time, we follow that progress of the parents as well, making uh, recommendations as to whether or not children should remain in, in care for a little bit longer or if it's time to reunite or if it's time to look in another direction. So we prepare court reports and we go in front of the judge. We talk to the children when they're verbal and can understand what's going on. We do express their, their desires um, to the judge but we also have to represent what's in their best interest. And so those are the recommendations that we make. Yeah. So that, that, that you said at the end where you're choosing between what the child wants and what's in their best interest, how, how do you, is there any set way where you make those decisions or is it just, it's just, we, it's a fact-based recommendation. Um, it's no secret that most children want to go home but it just may not be time. Maybe their parents need a little bit longer uh, yeah. to work some services and to show um, stability um, with having a safe home and their ability to care for the children in a safe environment. It just gives them a little bit more time uh, before we would recommend that they return home. And they kind of ease into that. Maybe they start out with some unsupervised visits for the afternoon and then maybe a weekend and see how it goes. But um, it... We tell the children what we're going to recommend when they're old enough to understand, you know, what we have to say. Uh, but we always let them know that we will express what their wishes are in court. Yeah. So, and I would like to go back a little more because you okay. talked about your work with Child Protective Services and stuff. So, how did you first get interested in that? Like, what what's your origin story? Well... Um, my very first job out of college, I started just a little bit before I graduated, maybe two months before I graduated. I started working with the Natchitoches Housing Authority, which is um, helping low-income families find subsidized housing. Mm-hmm. So I worked with a lot of families there, and I worked at a public housing unit for a while and um, became involved with um, children and families there. And there was an incident that occurred that, um, as as a citizen, I mean, all citizens are required to report uh, any suspected child abuse, that I had to pick up the phone and make a report to Child Protective Services. 
And then it got me interested as I made this report as to what Child Protective Services does and how they work and how they help families. And I just felt like that would be something that would interest me. So I started watching for openings and I applied for a job when they had an opening. And I think it was within maybe a month of making that report that I was hired with Child Protective Services. It started out. I had no idea what I was getting into (laughs) at the time, um, honestly. But if if you are meant to do this kind of work, it will stick and you will stay. Um, it, It is not easy. It's very long hours and long shifts sometimes, a lot of heartbreak. But if you believe in what you're doing and you put children and families first, then it it just sticks and you yeah. stick with it. Yeah. So what what because you said you were a caseworker and stuff. So yes. and then I think you said something more administrative later. Yes. So what 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 was your job as a caseworker? What did that look like? If you don't mind me asking. Oh, not at all. And it looked different every single day. You just never knew what to expect when I would show up at work. Uh, we would be assigned cases. Uh, I worked in a unit with about uh, five other caseworkers, and we were what was called then a generic unit. It was before the agency specialized. So we worked all different types of cases. But if I was given an investigation, then I would go out. The law allows that you can speak to children about uh, the report. And um, if there were, say it was a case of physical abuse, maybe they had some injuries that were not consistent with their explanation and you talk to the child to find out how they got their injuries if there are any siblings then you would talk to siblings and see if their stories lined up with the story of the child and then you would approach the parents and talk to the parents about the report that was received and you had very specific timelines in how you did this and you documented everything and um, when I started we did not have any Uh, fancy equipment or technology I think we wore pagers um, if we needed to be called back to the office because we might be out in the county if there was an emergency call because cases are classified uh, two different ways and I would leave you know get my cases and get started and leave the office and sometimes maybe not show back up until you know, closing time or later, you didn't go home until kids were safe. So if you started a case at four in the afternoon and it turned into something that was concerning, then you had to resolve it before you could go home. You had to make sure that those children were safe uh, before you went home. So what what did resolving it look like? Was it like calling police or getting them to like a different family member? Or yes, some- like that. So maybe it would be a situation where we felt that everyone needed a little bit of time just to cool off. Um, and it would be safer if the children went to stay maybe with a grandmother, uh, aunt, uncle, someone. And we would ask the parents. They would have to voluntarily agree to that um, yeah. to let the children go home. And in, in very um, extreme circumstances, sometimes it might result in a removal. But that would, that would have to be very significant safety issues, meaning uh, loss of life or limb, um, 
the possibility that sexual abuse would occur if you left and mm-hmm. that it was going to occur that evening. Um, those kinds of situations where a child might have to be removed after hours. Yeah. So, so you also mentioned how uh, it, y- y'all didn't have like specific classifications before and that you were just sent out to whatever. Yes. So, uh, obviously, from what you said, there's more specified yes. stuff now. What, what's the different specifications, and how do you decide? So, investigations are the first people that make contact, and that they start a case. And they have to determine, investigators have to determine whether or not abuse or neglect occurred. But they also are looking at safety issues and risk issues in the home. And if they feel that a family would benefit from services, that uh, maybe the the children are maybe should stay with a relative while the parents work on a few things and then come back home without taking custody of the children if the parents are agreeable and willing to work those services. And so in-home services could be offered. I also worked those kinds of cases where we would uh, pay for services for the the parents, uh, the children, if the children needed any services. And then if children were removed from their home, I also worked with the parents while they worked to try to get their children back. They have a plan of service through the state. And so they may be working on a number of different types of services at the same time in order to... We use the word risk a lot we would say risk factors to control those risk factors um we worked with a a lot of families that maybe had some substance abuse issues and so we would try to help the parents get into treatment of some sort and maintain sobriety uh, before and show that sobriety uh for a while before children could return home yeah and then if they couldn't return home uh, maybe if uh, it just the plan that first option was not going according to plan there was always a second plan in place for the children so we might be looking at placement with relatives if at all possible uh, like to keep children with family when it's yeah. possible and so if there are any appropriate relatives the children could be placed there yeah so um so you go from a caseworker you said you went into in more administration and stuff right I so did. how did your role change when you went into that were you less hands on i'm guessing or i'm not as a supervisor i i spent eight and a half years as a supervisor and i had uh nacogdoches and shelby county so i supervised investigations it was still generic when i first started but it, then it switched pretty quick and when they broke out into specialties, I decided to stay with investigations. So my role was to teach new caseworkers um, how to gain confidence in themselves, um, how to properly conduct an investigation, um, how to get comfortable with decision making in the field, and knowing when to contact uh, their supervisor for um, you know, additional input and just being able to recognize those risk factors that are present in homes that could pose a serious threat to children. So, um, but I was always one to go out with caseworkers and not just stay in the office. So, yeah, um, I would just jump in there with them in the trenches. So, yeah. and then as I advanced to the next level, that did push me a little bit further away from um, hands-on. So, yeah. 
so in working all this i mean i'm sure like especially like for me personally like anything involving kids and stuff like that really weighs on me even when i just hear about it i don't have to be connected to it at all um how how do you deal with that like because you're dealing with this on a daily basis for I can't remember. Over 20 years. Yeah, over 20 years. (laughs) Over 20 years. Um, You know, I think that the biggest thing is do your best. Do everything according to the way that you're supposed to so that you know that you did everything that you could for children to be safe. And um, do your best in working with families to try to offer services to them to help them make things better. And it took me a while to understand that I couldn't do the work for them. They had to show that they wanted uh, to do the work on their own and to get their kids back. But we did take care of everything. And we we did, as far as like, we paid for all the services. If they needed rides, we would give rides. Uh, we did a lot of extra stuff going an ex- the extra mile to help parents uh, get back on their feet. Because sometimes that's... That's really what it was. They had hit some sort of rock bottom, and their kids had been caught in the middle of that, which was really unfortunate. Um, sometimes there were very devastating cases that mm-hmm. um, the state would offer services to the caseworkers after those cases were over, so that uh, bring someone in to talk to us, so that we could kind of decompress from that situation. It is important to have hobbies and uh, to do things for yourself and I always say a hobby that has a start and a finish because in this type of work it never ends there's always a new case the next day so it's good to have something that where you have a sense of completion uh, because that's absent in your work life you might finish a case but again there's another one so um, those were those were important things to me, and I'm kind of a gym junkie. I, I like to uh, have a walk in the evenings and do some exercise, and that was a, a good coping skill for me. And and sometimes they were just rough cases, and I would go home and hold my kids a little bit tighter that night. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know you had kids either. I mean, that's got to really hit you pretty hard. Um, so... Where where do you see the like? Uh, how did the switch to working for with Casa come in? Was it uh, well when I switched uh, when I was working for the state? I moved. I transitioned from supervisor to program director, and like I said, it's a it's a little bit of a step. It's a mm-hmm. step up, and then a little bit more removed from uh, field work. And I was working with the supervisors of the units. So I didn't have a lot of direct work with the caseworkers. And I did a, I just had a lot of administrative duties. And the cases, if a case came across my desk, then it was a bad case. It was usually a child death or um, something very severe that mm-hmm. I had to review. And if, if that's kind of your only duty, um, it it does take a toll for sure. And I also expanded, and I had initially I had 13 counties when I became a program director, and they hired another program director for the center of Region 5, so I dropped down to 8. Um, that's a lot of time on the road, um, and along with the administrative duties. 
and I was introduced to CASA. We didn't have a program here for a long time. So I worked with Child Protective Services before CASA started, and I was very glad when we got a CASA program here because I was so supportive of what they did and having um, just another set of eyes on children and another person and was really pleased with the program and its progress here in Nacogdoches and in Shelby County and St. Augustine County, which were all counties that I was familiar with because I worked there. So uh, the position came open in 2015, and I knew that uh, dropping down to responsibility of three counties would be good, and I would be a little more local, um, have kind of a more set schedule, um, and be able to be home more often with my children, and my phone probably not ring you know, all the time, because you're not on call, so that's, that is one thing, but um, I could continue doing work with children, and I could do it from a different perspective, and still bring my knowledge from the state here, but also, we have a different set of policies and procedures that we follow, and we are not bound by some of the same policies that the department is, so when we can we can make recommendations that maybe I couldn't make when I was a caseworker. I remember just I can always remember going back to being a caseworker and a lot of the kids that were on my caseload were teenagers that were in foster care and likely to stay in foster care until they aged out. And they my I just have a soft spot for scrappy teenagers that <laughs> are trying to survive in the system. And being knowing that I could play a hand in helping to help advocate for children that are in foster care and work from that angle um, to represent their best interests in court and to work with volunteers from the community, people that come in and give of their time and their heart to work with children and to want to mentor them and, and be there for them. Um, it was just an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. Yeah. So... What What is, like, if somebody wants to get involved or maybe just even help out, what what's the best way you would suggest of doing that? Well, I would suggest that they talk to someone at the, their local program and just get an idea of exactly what the requirements are and make sure that it's something that they can commit to. Because our mission is important to us to be a constant for children, we do ask for a minimum of 12 months out of a volunteer when they come into the program. And we talk to them about what their duties would be as the CASA. If they are interested, they fill out an application and we they give us references to check. We run background checks because anyone working with children, they're required to go through FBI uh, background check and a check with uh, the central registry, uh, making certain that there are no um, child abuse cases or anything like that yeah. on the record. Seems so, kind of obvious. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> so we, we do all those things, and, and we have a 30-hour training that we do. Part of it's in person, and part of it is uh, self-paced that they do online. Um, and at the end of their training, they are then sworn in as guardian of items. Uh our program, we have people, part of our interview process is for them to tell us what fits them best, like what age group they would like to work with. Would they mind working with a sibling group? Um, finding out 
exactly. You're fine. Okay. So finding out exactly what they think would work best for them and why they think it would work best for them and trying to match them to a case as we get cases and mm-hmm. and and those cases come in pretty regularly. Yeah. So, so how many like children does like the average worker have at a time is it just I mean it can't just be one. <laughs> There's <laughs> but like what well, are you looking at? For a CASA volunteer, we actually start them with one case and sometimes it is just one child. It it might be a newborn. Um, yeah that they are working for their best interests. Um, our more seasoned volunteers, as people get more involved then and feel more comfortable, they might come and say, hey, you know, I think I can take on a second case. And uh, no one can work more than four, and we have to get approval for someone to work four cases. And typically those are our volunteers that have been with us, you know, 10 years, 14 years, yeah. that are working the higher workloads. Um, we do have a lot of retirees in our system, um, but we uh, search for diversity within our program. Um, yet a minimum age is 21 to yep. be a, a CASA volunteer or to be a guardian ad litem. You can volunteer with the program and help in other ways if you want to, but 21 is the minimum age. Yeah. Um, so... How many people do y'all have like working at a time, or like is it like a thing where you always need more? <laughs> yes, guessing. we always need more. <laughs> like, uh, my goal for Casa is that we have Casas waiting on cases, and not children waiting on Casas. Mm-hmm. Um, we have our staff does serve children if we don't have enough volunteers, but we're only allowed to serve so many. We have we are required to keep an 80% ratio. So we have to have 80% of our children served by volunteers. And if we can't meet that ratio, we have to stop accepting cases until we get to that point. And that means that there are children that don't have a CASA representative. And um, that breaks my heart. So I always want to be able to have a CASA waiting and ready to take on a new case when children come into care. Every every child in care deserves a CASA. Yeah. So, um, trying to think of a good way to uh, kind of wrap it up. I guess, is there anything that, because I've done a lot of talking, I'd like you to <laughs> <laughs> say your I, own thing. Sure. Is there anything you want to just put out there about your experiences or working here or well, I have to say that um, this work is very rewarding. And if anyone has been considering becoming a cost, it's not an impulsive decision. They have to think about it because it is quite a commitment that, you know, uh, wait for that right time. And when you know it, it's right, come in and sign up. It It is so rewarding to get to be a part of these children's lives, even if it's for a short time. And for me, it's... Uh, when you build good relationships and when you treat people with kindness and courtesy and respect, uh, you can continue those relationships even beyond um, involvement. And so I carry a case, too, uh, because we just needed help at the time. And I said, I'll take a case. And so um, in working that case, two of the it's, it was a sibling group and two of the children have reached permanency and so they are no longer in foster care. But 
I still get to keep up with them. And I'm, I heard from them yesterday, as a matter of fact. And I can, you know, I know how they're doing and, and how they're progressing in school. Because, you know, I would, I would wonder for sure how they were doing. And I can be a part of helping them visit their sibling that still remains in foster care. Uh, which is really rewarding to see them get together and enjoy each other and have a good time. Because there's something, the sibling bond is great. Um, it is, when children come into care, they're they're losing what's normal to them. Even if it wasn't the best thing for them, even if it wasn't safe for them, that was their home. And mm-hmm. it was what they knew. And so children that have been through abuse, that's traumatic. And then children that have to be taken from their homes that's traumatic and if there aren't enough foster placements out there and they have to be separated from their siblings that's traumatic so anyone that's been thinking of of working with children maybe as a casa maybe as a foster parent um, they are needed so needed and um, I think some of the most rewarding things and with social media now people can find you is having done this for as long as I have, kids that I worked with when they were three, four years old, coming to find me when they were 18, 19, and had aged out of the system, and just visiting with me for a little while. And the fact that they remembered me when I might not have, as a caseworker, I might not have been involved with them for a really long time. It would just be great to you know catch up with them and that they thought enough of me to come and find me, to visit yeah. with me. So that that's very meaningful. We have class of volunteers that they've been to high school, college graduations. They keep up with the kids. So it isn't just a short-term thing. It, it can be lasting relationships. And it's so important for children to have a caring adult in their life. Uh, you can make such an impact on kids. Yeah. Just just one person that they can remember and you know having been through all the trainings and visited with people that are now public speakers uh, but grew up in a horrible situation uh, and then came out the victor uh, and not they didn't allow it to define who they were and they were able to move on and help other people but just seeing the process work they had someone that they connected with. You know, they, every one of them had an adult. Maybe it wasn't their CASA. Maybe it was a foster parent. Uh, because even though it's a nationwide uh, program, it isn't available everywhere. Yeah. And then, of course, some cities are so large, there are so many children in foster care that, all, you know, the CASA program can't serve them all. So I guess that would be one thing that I would say. Um, just encouraging people to, to get involved in some way if, if it, they feel that it is a calling for them. And it isn't for everyone. And yeah. we completely understand that. But there are other ways to help, too. Yeah. What, what, what would be some other ways, if you want to just throw that out? <laughs> sure. I mean, it could be um, maybe they help organize a drive to uh, get some supplies together for children that come into care. Most of the time, you know, 90, I'd say 95% of the time when I had to remove children as a caseworker, 
those kids came with clothes on their back and if you think about that you drop them off at a foster home if it's a brand new foster parent and you know they may have just been licensed and they weren't quite ready they didn't have all the things and all of a sudden they have three or four children in their home that just have the clothes on their back so um in helping get some things together cps uh child protective services they have a a rainbow room which is stocked with emergency supplies for uh, children and families but um, caseworkers had access to that room and it was important to keep it stocked with new underwear new socks toothbrushes toothpaste and pajamas extra sets of clothing and it, you know people can bring that here if they want it to go to those children we're going to make sure that they get it to that it gets yeah. to the children yeah. um, hygiene products are a big thing that are always in need for children um, and teens and you know especially the our teenagers in foster care um, if you can imagine uh, a teenager being taken into care and completely having to completely outfit a teenager as opposed to outfitting a three-year-old there's yeah. a, a big difference in the cost um, yeah. of doing that and so organizing drives to help get those kinds of things together for children um, maybe checking uh, social media f- for agencies that are sponsoring children at christmas or back to school those types of things helping out there signing up maybe to sponsor a child yeah just all those little things like, like yes. I'm, I'm like you know i'm sure nobody thinks about like Oh, we can need to donate kids for or clothes for a teenager. Yeah, you know? I, I, I th- mean, I think, and, I, and I'm sure y'all get like you got a pile of toys right there that were donated. I'm sure. Yeah, like, like people think of that kind of stuff, but it's true that not many people think like, oh, I need to donate clothes, you know, uh, toothpaste, all that kind of stuff. Right. For yeah, how important is- that really is yes i will say that i I remember when working in the rainbow rooms when i would go to pull things for children we did have a larger stock for small children than we did for teens and so it's um and i have you know i have one adult child and one child that's uh, a junior in high school and so teenagers are expensive um and you know just getting the very basic things but if you can imagine just just think about what if you what if you went somewhere you traveled somewhere and your, your luggage got lost and you were stuck somewhere and you had to go out and buy just the basic stuff to get you by you're yeah. looking at um you know a little dent in your wallet there to get yourself by uh so these children could be in foster care for up to a year and also kids grow those they outgrow their yeah. clothes really fast uh, when they're really little clothes and shoes. So sometimes we've we've had people do things like a shoe drive, uh, which is great, and get shoes in all sizes, uh, jackets, and of course hoodies are very popular with the teens. We had a local church reach out and say, "What can we do?" Uh, we wanted to do a coat drive, and I said, "Well, you know what? Uh, teenagers will wear a hoodie when it's twelve degrees outside. That's what they want." Yeah. And so they they got everyone a hoodie and and more i mean we we had tons of hoodies to be able to pass out to the teenagers um in various colors and that was that was fantastic and uh, there's some stuff behind you there those are hygiene bags that are for uh, young ladies that come into care making sure that they have everything that they need uh, because they might not be comfortable when they first get to their placement to ask for those things yeah that they need and so if they have a little bag of their own that they can pull from that's great yeah well, th- thank you for giving me this interview. I, I think it was really great. 
real informative and uh something like you don't think about every day you know but uh thank you so much for sitting down and talking with me well thank you for having me i really appreciate it yeah anything you want to plug at the end a website or anything y'all are working on right now we are our website is www.casaofdet.com and the det is for db texas again we serve uh, Nacogdoches, Shelby, and San Augustine counties. But if anyone hears this and they live in different counties, but they're interested in becoming a CASA, they can just go online and look for a CASA program for their county, uh, and it should pop up, and there would be a contact number. Uh, we are always welcoming people to come in the door, ask questions, and find out if this is for them. So, yeah, if you're thinking about doing it, none of the pro- programs are in competition with each other. We we want to yeah. see all the programs grow <laughs> because we all want children to have a CASA. So. Don't, don't, don't donate to them. Donate to us, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, we, we make sure that it, it gets to where it needs to go and that yeah. all the kids are, are covered. So, um, yeah. So that's that's what I can think of. And there's even a national site that people can fill out an application there or just a form of interest. And those are routed to the local programs. So it it's pretty easy to find some someone. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll link all those to great. The great. Thank podcast. You. Thank you so much. You bet. Oh, hey there. Look at you, you made it to the end. You're a pretty unordinary person yourself. Most people don't do that. Uh, while you're here, why don't you like and subscribe or follow or whatever it is. And Oh, also, we're on Instagram and Facebook, so you should probably go check those out too. Thanks for listening. You're pretty cool. <laughs>